0: The biggest mistake I think people do is they don't listen to customer feedback and they build the product for them. You're never building a product for you. You're always building a product for your target demographic for your customer.
1: Welcome to Making It to Market, the podcast where we discuss everything about taking your product or service idea through to commercialization. I'm your host, Dahlia Collada. Last episode, we met with James Stevens of Sinful Beverages and Iron Light LLC where he gave us an introduction on biomimicry of natural flavors and fragrance. In this episode, James and I discuss a few hot topics like artificial intelligence, natural versus organic versus genetically modified ingredients. He'll drop in some insights about functional trends in developing both consumable and topical products. And we'll get the answer to, do consumers really associate value with the sensation they experience with your product? If you missed the previous episode, James has 18 years of executive experience in biology, biomimicry, chemistry, engineering, ingredient, and product development. He has developed and commercialized over 320 natural ingredients and products in fields from clean energy and biopolymers to food, flavor, and fragrance. Can't wait. Let's get into it. Let's talk about artificial intelligence and biomimicry. What's your experience with that, and how does it work?
0: Yeah, so the the mo- thing, most important thing to remember about most artificial intelligence or, or analysis is it's really about pattern recognition, right? It's about so I worked on a project where we used um, distributed kind of AI th- thing to predict sweetness in molecules, and so that software it got about sixty percent accurate. Okay, you're like, okay, why does that matter? Now if you want to go survey and you're looking for a new sweetener, let's say you're a massive you know beverage company, right? There's pretty much two that do soft drinks that matter mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And they both are always searching for new high potency sweeteners that can add that are natural, that can replace sugar, can help with sugar reduction, can help with whatever. So now to find those molecules, you need to take that information and then you need to go survey, thousands or hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of extracts, there's not enough time for people to do that effectively. So if you can do an analysis and have software look at the chemical traits on it, and you train it, that pattern recognition can help you look at a variety of different things and get a bunch of data very, very fast. Wow! So instead of taking mm-hmm. 10 or 20 years to discover something, maybe you can do the same discovery mm-hmm. because you're using, you know, artificial intelligence or, you know, machine learning or whatever you want to call it to build this kind of portfolio and look for characteristics. Then what that does is that shortens down your list. And then once you get that list, you can do it. I've also used it for toxicology, right? So when you're using new, you're new, looking at new feedstocks, new fermentations, new whatever, mm-hmm. you can use the same kind of pattern recognition to look for toxico- toxicological characteristics as well.
1: Wow, that's really
0: interesting. And be like, oh, this is going to be dangerous before someone sticks it in their mouth or you have to feed it to a mouse or something, right? And determine if that material is going to be dangerous.
1: Mm-hmm. When people are talking about natural flavor, natural fragrance, and then, then they see organic, Does what, what, in your opinion, what matters what matters the most, natural or organic? And how do they work together? And how do we know it's legit?
0: I like EU Naturals as a designation, and I forgot the EC number because it has very strict rules on even the production methods on how you get to it, right? So, like, EU Natural products, I'm like, that's very, very rigorous. I like that as a framework. U.S. Natural for flavors, kind of less – Organic? I mean, there's a huge debate what organic kind of means and where the rules are. The main thing that I think most people don't understand about organic, but it's the most important, is you cannot have any genetically modified organisms present in an organic product, right? So. Honestly, in my mind, organic. Once I learned all the rules, organic became synonymous with non-GMO for me. Now, the I haven't read the rules in probably a year or two, so for all I know, they've changed again. Uh But as it stands, kind of my my understanding of organic is the best way I look at it. Is it's an immediate sign that there should be no genetically modified ingredients in there either. You know, unfortunately, if it's organic, you can still use certain types of fertilizers, pesticides. Uh There's exemptions for organic because you can't get it naturally, and you need the functionality. Blah blah blah. So. I mean, the other stuff that, you know, we assume like pesticide free and all that with organic, that's not necessarily true either. Exactly. It's just free of some types. That's yeah. right.
1: Yeah. There's there, they still can use pesticides. It's within certain, certain types of pesticides, certain limitations. And yeah, but you know, if you, if you're growing organic lavender and you got cotton growing in the field next to you and it's definitely GMO. That stuff's flying yeah. over into your field and now your crop is contaminated. Do you know about that? Like how the farmers are dealing with that?
0: Yeah. So unfortunately drift, whether it's pesticide drift or seed drift or whatever, you're growing a similar thing. And then people accuse you of stealing seeds. It pretty much is no one wins except the lawyers and big companies in that scenario. Because if you look at the margins on farming, it's not mm-hmm. that great. Um, they're, they're asset rich, but cash poor. So they don't even have the resources to fight a lot of these legal battles or whatever so
1: fortunate so that's when the big companies win the game Mm -hmm. yeah
0: there's been some pretty high class um things that were in the news around genetically modified seed i think it was in canada where one of the big companies sued a farmer because they had seed drift and their seeds were growing in their field and they Mm -hmm. had the farmer actually lost the lawsuit from what i from what i recall i don't know if i got overthrown it's been a while since i paid attention to that too so
1: And I know that it affected India quite a bit on their crop, with the GMO.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, the thing is, is everyone's like, oh, why do they need it? I mean, a lot of those crops, the yield increase is insane, right? Like Mm -hmm. 4X over like wild type stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Or needing yeah. a lot less water, or more drought tolerant, or in the case of things like I think it's papayas and stuff. You know, they would have been wiped out and not exist anymore if it weren't for the fact that it was genetically modified and those strains were propagated. So,
1: is it necessarily bad to consume something that's been genetically
0: modified, like corn or? Oh, no. I mean, no. I think my opinion has always been on it. It's just another tool. It's no different than using fertilizer or whatever. I think there's a lot of unintended consequences, right? So I know like some of the things for pest control or whatever have led to various issues or like roundup resistance is the one everyone talks about, mm-hmm. right? Where there was gene drift from the target crop um, to other stuff.
1: You know, when you go shopping, Are you nitpicky about what you're reading on the labels or like, how do you personally shop James? Are you like looking for organic? How do you, what do you do?
0: So mainly what I'm looking for now is I'm looking for low processed stuff. So stuff that hasn't gone through a bunch of processing and primarily that's to control salt intake. So unfortunately modern Western European society, North, North America, We eat way too much salt, right? I bet you the average American's probably eating eight grams of salt a day when they're supposed to maybe max out at 2,500 to 2,000 milligrams, Mm -hmm. you know, and we don't have anywhere near enough potassium. So for me, I've been looking at a bunch of that stuff just because it does affect things like blood pressure and it doesn't matter how healthy you are. The older you get, stuff just starts wearing out, right? So once you break about 35 or 40, things Mm -hmm. like salt content are really going to matter. So all the millennials coming right behind me, (laughs) Uh they're going to have to care about all that stuff. So that's kind of where I've ended up is looking for low processed foods, mainly for salt reduction. So that does keep me away from a lot of vegan stuff. Not that I'm opposed to eating meat or anything personally. It's just more like a lot of the vegan products are highly processed and contain a ton of salt, right? So you look at things like Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. It's actually very high in like processing aids and salt and all that kind of stuff. Wow, that's interesting.
1: Uh, Earlier, you mentioned about working with a process, like uh, a synthetic meat, basically.
0: Yeah. So it, we've done a bunch of different work in this space. So early on we um, blue marble, like before we um, sold that company and kind of it, Got all wound down. We were doing a lot of work in the helping alt meat, early alt meat companies look at ways to get access to the resources. We did a lot of stuff where we worked with mycelium to make fake bacon because we had a vegan bacon flavor we developed, um, stuff like that, all from fermentation, all EU natural. And so really, a lot of the work I've looked at is, you know, there's a couple major characteristics. And one of the ones that got interest to me in that whole space space is mouthfeel. You know, it's really hard to make plants feel like meat on a mouthfeel basis, right? Having the right fat, what is the fat composition? What does the fat taste like? All that kind of stuff. And so I've been doing a lot of consulting with companies like being like, well, how do we even look for the right fats? How do we do this? How do we get the right flavor profiles? How do we make it cook right. So it cooks similar to that. And most of them, they're trying to target flexitarians anyways. They're not really actually trying to target vegans, which probably will make a bunch of vegans sad, but most of it's just, you know, around trying to reduce the climate impact on agricultural animals. So a lot of it's about how do you convert even a couple days a week? How do you convert someone who's used to eating sausage or hamburger or whatever to then start eating plant-based stuff?
1: Interesting. That's another goes back to the conservation again, of course. What trends are you yeah. what trends are you seeing as far as a flavor and fragrance?
0: I'm seeing a huge drive towards functional. And so functional can mean a lot of things, but for a world where we've been mired in the pandemic for almost three years, where you know, everyone's stressed out. So everybody seems to be looking at how do you either make products that help people perform better so they can do their job more effectively, or how do they wind down from the day? Right. And so, I mean, traditionally, you know, go back to the old days, that was all just performance enhancing drugs, right? If you're stressed out here, have some antidepressants, If you need to perform better, you know, they just used to hand out amphetamines in the eighties, like it was candy, right? Man, it used to be over the counter even. So when you look at that, it used to be all drug driven. Everyone's looking for natural ways to offset that, right? So what are better ways to get your caffeine so you don't have your crash? What are better ways to wind down at the end? I mean, I think most people understand alcohol is not a very good way to wind down at the end of the day, right? Just because there's a bunch of associated health problems with it. So, you know, what do you use? How do you do that? Can you do that? herbally? Can you do that naturally? Can it just be with terpenes? Can you just do it with aromatherapy? What are the things that you can actually do? And so I'm seeing a huge drive towards this kind of functional trend, right? Like functional wellness. How do you make stuff that functions? And I think the CBD industry really kind of kickstarted a lot of it into the kind of mindset of society. Okay. How do we make this look like that?
1: Mm -hmm. I'm with James Stevens of Iron Light LLC and Sinful Beverages. Stick around till after the break. You don't want to miss a discussion about decision fatigue. Are you looking for high-quality, professional-grade nutritional supplements that you can only get with the help of an integrative health practitioner? Well, believe it or not, I'm actually a degreed health science and integrative medicine practitioner, and I'm able to extend my 15% off practitioner discount to you on over 350 professional-grade brands. Plus, they gave you free shipping on $49 or more. Please visit wellevate.me slash dahlia hyphen colada. This episode is sponsored by Salve Naturals, the leader in cruelty-free, plant-based, and natural topical medicines with ingredients sourced from American farmers. These natural products are freshly handmade in the USA, Houston, Texas, to be precise. Please visit salvenaturals.com or check out Salve and the healthy living departments at HEB stores across Texas. We're looking for inspiring expert guests and original musical artists. Think you have what it takes to be a part of the show? Please go to makingittomarket.com and apply. Making It to Market is a listener and sponsor supported show. Want to help us out to keep the show going? Find out how in the show notes. As far as sensory experiences go, I obviously that's a big part of flavor and fragrance. Well, what about topical use?
0: Yeah, so I think that I think it's both ways. So one of my favorite compounds to work with is it's called hydroxy alpha sensual, right? So it has a fancy kind of chemical sounding name, but it's a component. Of um, a pepper from Asia. And it's not really a pepper, it's like a citrus-like flower fruit. And it, so, Szezwan peppers, right? So, you look at Szezwan peppers. They make your lips tingle when you eat them, right? So that sensory feedback makes you think something's working. So like when you look at topicals, right? And you're like, oh, this is going to help plump your lips. Now, if you can get that so that lip balm tingles a little bit when someone first puts it on, that creates this whole kind of like feedback in their brain of like, oh, this is working. Right. Same with like when people use muscle rub, people way prefer muscle rubs that have cooling effects. Right. Whether that's menthol or, you know, other cooling compounds or whatever, they would rather use stuff where they can actually feel that effect. Or like Icy Hot, right, where you have effectively capsaicin and a menthol kind of cooling pound mixture where it creates both sensations simultaneously. That feedback lets you know your product's working. The one thing I always wish I would have done at the start of the whole CBD industry, like, you know, 2014, 2015 farm bill stuff is I should have just released CBD that had a tingling effect in it and just said, well, if your CBD doesn't tingle, yes. it's not working. Right. <laughs> I think I joked about this on one of our other calls. But people
1: really do think this people really like both the people manufacturing it and the people con- buying it and consuming it really believe that you have to have that sensory feel in order for it to work.
0: It's, it's all about value, right? So humans love shortcuts. Our brains do too much all the time, right? So you effectively are always in decision fatigue in your entire life. What to feed kids? What clothes to wear? What meal should I make? Oh, do I like this color of carpet? Should I style my hair this way or that way? I don't have hair, so it doesn't matter. But you know, I don't have that worry. But the average person has so many worries that they're always looking for shortcuts. So a product you feel and you associate that feeling with it working is always going to win out because you're like, oh yeah, this product works because of this. It's like a lot of people convince people that eating healthy has to taste bad. So people got around instead of formulating correctly and making it taste good, people got around that by being like, oh, this smoothie with all these vegetables and it just has to taste bad. Therefore, I'm going to eat this terrible tasting thing. Right. And so, you know, culture did that, but at the end of the day, if people can associate feedback with value right that's why you know if you look at cannabis and you know cbd lots of people prefer full spectrum products because there's other compounds in it like thc that create an effect versus something made with isolate that you might not be able to feel and so the same thing starts occurring with everything a patch for your pain with a little bit of capsaicin or hot pepper feeling in it where it makes your skin warm up or whatever is going to feel more like it works than a patch that has like you know tylenol in it where mm-hmm. you might not it might have be, everything might be the same, you mm-hmm. know, same painkiller, same everything. But if there's no feedback, people just doesn't, don't think your product works.
1: Yes, yeah. Well, how can we get something that's sensory that doesn't smell like
0: medicine? So there's a bunch of different technologies around this too. And this this is where stuff is so cool, right? So when you start looking at things like terpenes, you know, and a lot of those, there's there's a very strong aroma sensory with it. But then you can do things like encapsulate that. So you can take that material, you know, and you can actually stick it like in a sugar shell. And so that sugar shell will trap all the smell or whatever. And so the thing I always think that I did great is valerian root, right? People like valerian, you know, because you know, oh, it can help you fall asleep. It also tastes like dirty feet, right? (laughs) But if you take valerian root and you encapsulate it, you can keep it functional, but you can also remove the sensory profile from it. So then you don't have to have that thing. The problem is all those technologies cost, you know, have yes. some expense, right? You need a partner that has it. You need to do so much to make it economical. You know, a lot of these things, it's it doesn't lend itself well to trying to do a hundred units and do a test launch on the product. You almost have to commit to you know, a million units or something out of the base. And then so small formulation or even mid sized yeah, formulations, people or companies or whatever or brands just can't afford to deploy that technology that way.
1: Yeah. But encapsulation has a lot of value. Uh, it's. Oh, absolutely. Yeah
0: shelf life stability not having your compounds break down like look anything that has lots of these compounds are you know they're sensitive to uh, you know oxygen degradation or whatever so encapsulating can protect those compounds and make them last a lot longer on the Mm -hmm. shelves too Mm -hmm.
1: when you're working with customers on creating flavors and fragrances what are the biggest or most common mistakes you come across with them
0: So the biggest mistake I think people do is they don't listen to customer feedback and they build the product for them. Mm -hmm. And so you're building, you know, this is going to sound, you know, some people say it's a sellout. Some people say it's whatever. You're never building a product for you, right? Mm -hmm. You're always building a product for your target demographic for your customer. And so that's, the most important thing to think about. And I would say nine out of 10 people I worked with, they cannot grasp that the product is about their customer and yes. not about them.
1: I cannot agree with you more. I, I always see, oh, I like this color. I like this ring. Why do you like it? Is it about you? Are you buying your own product? Who's buying it? And did you ask them what they want?
0: Most people are not buying their own product, I've learned.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But they preach it that it's the best thing in the world. Because it is. Right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you know, and, and and that's one of the reasons I always put con- consumer centric innovation, like on like my title on LinkedIn. Right. Is I'm like, it, it's about the consumer. It's about who's going to buy your product.
1: Absolutely. It's so true.
0: And if you're not solving something for them, what's the point? Right. So what would it be like to work with you? So a lot of times it's it's about brainstorming. It's about figuring out. And then I'm usually the place where I get a stickler is on this consumer segmentation now, mm-hmm. probably the last five years. I'm like, who's your consumer? What's their segmentation? What do they like? And so, you know, there'll be a bunch of brainstorming and it'll always end up, you know, who's, who's actually going to buy your product? What's their mindset? What are you trying to do from there? And then after that, it'll be like, well, what experience do you want that person to have with your product, right?
1: And how do you verify that that experience is actually what you're delivering?
0: You have to do consumer focus groups. So like when I launched a beverage in the regulated space here with a partner, we did a thousand units just test and effectively quote unquote, a giveaway. It wasn't a giveaway cause you couldn't legally give it away, but you know, we got, we figured out all the rules and stuff. And so there was a thousand unit test of that product. And mm-hmm. then we collected feedback and consumer sentiment on that product.
1: And so are you using like um, a firm to help you with this? Are you developing your own study?
0: We usually do. We've taken to doing a lot of our own stuff because most of the firms are so expensive Mm -hmm. that, you know, people really can't afford to do it at this day and age. So.
1: Okay. Interesting. So one of the uh, other guests that we have on the show is um, (laughs) a neuroscientist and she talks about, of consumer research and so it's interesting I, everything is kind of aligning with all the different speakers everything you can see a consistency in the approach which is really kind of neat i love seeing it i think that
0: I, th- I think the people talking consumer centric application are the ones who've kind of risen above the fray right we you know i guess to to all the horns of people in it right is we usually have multiple successes over our, under our belt Right. Instead of being a one trick pony like a lot of startup folks are, or whatever, we usually have two, three, four, five, ten, twenty, thirty, forty 10, 20, 30, 40 successes over the years built up under following that same thing. So it's definitely a mechanism that works for us. And it leads to sales, right? Focusing on the cons- customer and knowing what your segmentation is is the only thing that actually matters with a product once you develop it. What's your sales?
1: Right. So, asking a personal question, what's been some of the biggest lessons you've learned doing this and your whole personal journey? Like, what have you, like, what would you tell yourself?
0: You're, you're not your job, right? For me, like, you know, being a CEO for 13 years and it being my baby and I proved a bunch of stuff with it and then like selling it to another company and then watching that whole, watching someone handle something you've spent 13 years of your life and not any kind of way you would or any appreciation for what was accomplished and watching it just kind of completely them just mess that whole thing up that was probably the thing is you're not your company so like if you're a founder if you're a startup person if you're a brand if you're whatever you have to disconnect yourself and your personal identity away from that because it's rough if you don't and if, and honestly, if you're personally connected to it and it fails and startup failure rates, you know, small business failure rates, whatever, doesn't matter what you say, the likelihood is you're going to have to do it nine or 10 times before you get a success, which means you're going to have a lot of failures under your belt <laughs> right. is, is really tough to handle if you're taking it personally. Every yeah.
1: Single and how, time. Do, how do you handle rejection? What do you do? Like, what advice would you give somebody who's thinks that they're making the best thing and that's not, and it's not working and it's not taken off? Well, what advice would you have for
0: them? I mean, if you can really, it's, it's, it's no different than like soul searching, unfortunately. Right. So at the end of the day, you just got to be real with yourself. Can you actually take feedback and criticism and whatever, if you can't, You know, maybe being an entrepreneur or starting a brand is not the thing for you. Maybe you need to do it a couple times under someone else's flagship or at a company or whatever, Mm -hmm. instead of trying to do it yourself. Because you're probably going to have to pivot so many times before you're actually successful with what you're working on. I mean, look, our... 35 40 45 year old selves and we could tell our 20 25 30 35 year old selves we wouldn't mm-hmm. listen to our advice anyways so i i can say it all day long but like even i know i'm like i probably needed to hear it but i wouldn't have listened to it
1: yeah but i guess if you're self-aware and you're really are trying to be a sponge and like learn from experts there's there are people out there that would take that advice at that age
0: i would think yeah i, I, mean, I would look, failure is part of all of it. And so the, the moment you're willing to like, actually analyze why you failed and then adjust, that's when you win, right? That's, that was my experience when I realized it was never about, it's never really personal. I mean, you can take it personal, but it's never really personal. It's just about, you're not doing the right thing. And you might've had the right idea 20 years ago or Mm -hmm. 20 years in the future. It could just be the wrong idea now too. So if you need Mm -hmm. to like, sugarcoat it for yourself. You can always say things like that to yourself to be like, no, it's still a good idea. I'm just too late or too early kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, entrepreneurs do that kind of stuff all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. whatever makes you accept it and allow you to learn, that's what you need to figure out how to do.
1: I've really enjoyed my conversation with you, James, talking about flavor and fragrance and the sensory compounds. And I know I've learned a lot from you and I'm sure our listeners have learned a tremendous amount and want more. And I look forward to having you back on. Maybe we'll talk about some microbial testing and food safety and uh, stability testing of products, as well as maybe sourcing some unique raw materials like algae and mushrooms and go back to talking about that microbiome um, and the microbes that you're working with.
0: Yep, that's absolutely the plan. Yeah, and I know
1: I know we've got some listeners that are in the cannabis space um, and a non-cannabis as well, but I, I know we're going to hopefully talk about extraction techniques and processing technologies. Maybe we can do a deeper dive into cannabis and maybe bring back some of that terpene discussion as well.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the plan is to kind of have a long-term kind of discussion of like, what are all the steps? What's going on kind of with the whole cannabis? Like, what are the benefits? What are the negative things? for combining the minors. I think there's a lot of different stuff like that we can talk about in that space for sure.
1: Absolutely. Oh, man, this is so exciting. I'm so honored to have you on. Thank you so much, James.
0: Thank you for having me on. Yes.
1: To learn more about James Stevens, check him out on LinkedIn. Or check out his company, DrinkSinful.com. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts or listen from our website, MakingItToMarket.com. And a special thanks to our show sponsors and listeners. Without your support, I would not be able to do this. As you know, Making It To Market is a new show and I need your help to get the word out. Feel free to share your favorite episodes. You don't want to miss the next one. It'll be a continued conversation about flavor and fragrance, where we invite a neuroscientist to explain how the brain works with sensory compounds. If there's a topic you'd like to hear, have a comment, or even a question you'd like for me to address, feel free to leave me a voice message on our podcast phone line. If we air your question or comment in an upcoming episode, we'll send you a making it to market t-shirt or mug. Details are in the show notes. Thanks for listening until the next time make decisions that make a difference.